It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the um, latest edition of Football Digest. And, and it's a rare edition, one which takes place at a time when Manchester United are top of the Premier League table. Uh, will they stay there? How many horses are in the title race? And at the other end, um, Sheffield United collected their first win of the Premier League season and putting even more pressure, if that's possible, on, on Steve Bruce. But is there really pressure on managers? I mean, are there not bigger issues for, for people to deal with at this time, um, like stopping players hugging and kissing, for example, after they score a goal. We'll discuss the um, latest developments um, on how football is coping with COVID. On a lighter note, there's a Japanese striker as well who's just signed a new playing deal at the age of 53. In fact, I think he turns 54 next month. So who's going to go on forever in the Premier League? Um, I'm Andy Dunn, the Chief Sports Writer of The Daily Mirror, and joining me today are David Maddock, The Daily Mirror's man on Merseyside, Jeremy Cross, the Chief Football Writer um, of The Daily Star, and John Cross, Chief Football Writer of The Daily Mirror. Morning, chaps. Um, I'm going to start with you, David. Um, it's, it's move over Liverpool. The champions-elect are coming to town this weekend. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's been... It's, I think it was uh, back in 2009... Um, since since that happened in this way with Manchester United top, um, it I mean it makes it it makes it more interesting and and it and it's kind of like um, the the talk has been all about oh are these two in in for the title and completely ignoring Manchester City which to me seems uh, absolutely ludicrous when they look the most ominous of all of all the top teams. Um, I think the the big thing uh, this weekend is that. The real Liverpool's got to stand up now because they have been uh, woeful. I think the word is over over the last well since November really. Um, since November, Liverpool have played since November the twenty fifth. I think it was Liverpool have played uh, twelve matches. They've won five, only five, and one of those was against Aston Villa's youth team. So basically, they've won four games in twelve. And that that's not that's not uh, title winning form. It's not top four form. It's mid table or even worse. So, you know, a team of Liverpool's quality, even with their injury problems, even losing Van Dijk and Gomez, that is simply not good enough. Uh, they know it, and it's whether they can respond th- this weekend against what is a very very good Manchester United side and an increasingly confident Manchester United side. So. I think this is the big game for Liverpool. This is where we see whether they've got they've got what it takes to actually respond and to say that they are going to be a factor in the title race. Uh, and that's that is to me is how important that game is for Liverpool. Yeah, huge important. I mean, Jeremy, Dave, that's interesting stuff on on how you know basically Liverpool need to raise their game. Um, but you see a lot of United, an awful lot of Manchester United. Um, you'd have thought they won the treble um, that they've got to the top of the league, haven't you? You know what I mean? I and mean, let's face it, they have been knocked out of the Champions League. They have been knocked out of the um, Carabao Cup. I mean, the top of the league, are we getting a little bit carried away by this United side? I was a bit surprised by the celebrations. I must admit, there was plenty of hugging and kissing after the final whistle. To <laughs> we'll come to that. Don't worry, we will come yeah. to that. Um, look, they are... They are an improving team. Can they go on and win the title? Listen, if I had to, if I had to put money on that happening, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with it. I don't think they'll win the title, but they're in the mix. That's the most important thing. That's all United fans want. They want United to be in, in there challenging, and they are at the minute. They're unbeaten on the road this season. I think they're the only team to, to have a, an unbeaten record away from home in the Premier League. Uh, they've been very impressive over the festive period. Um, probably the best team out of the whole Premier League so they're banging form but Dave's right all the pressure's on Liverpool on um, Sunday um, obviously they're in a sticky sticky patch it's never a free hit when you go to Anfield in a game of this magnitude I mean obviously United 
there's pressure on them too. But 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 you know the onus is on Liverpool to to make a statement. And what Liverpool are finding, I guess, is how how difficult it is to win back to back title. I think only City and United have managed that in the Premier League era. So you know history shows that it's a very tough ask. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how Liverpool respond because you know last season they obviously ran away with it and they weren't under that much pressure because they just blew everyone out of the water. So it's interesting to see how Liverpool cope with a game of this importance in the middle of a bad run. John, I know um, I know you in the past have been um, maybe thought that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has been protected a little bit by, by pundits, by observers, um, and you thought that maybe, you know, he, he maybe should have showed more responsibility for the indifferent form on occasions. Is he now, two years and a bit on, is he now the right man for the job? Can we all accept Ollie's the right man for to be at the wheel? No, because I think we're, with Man United, I, I, I always think we're only ever 90 minutes away from Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer <laughs> having his credentials and his future questioned. And I have to say, understandably so because it, say for example they take your right batter in the Anfield on, on Sunday which isn't beyond the realms of possibility people will say oh well if they had a great leader they would go there and grind out the, 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 the result or draw whatever it might be that they needed to kind of play the long game in the title race and you get that with an experienced manager and look I, I, you know I'm maybe been a little bit flippant and a bit, bit harsh on him but I just think this is Manchester United Man United are expected to be top of the table and yep. to be three points clear. That's that's the level you're at. We shouldn't be surprised by it. And I, I think to a degree we are somewhat. Because, listen, I do get the fact that they're quite a good team. You know, they're, they're improving. I, I watched the Burnley game the other night. I didn't actually think they were anywhere near their best. You know, there are a few players who, you know, sort of fall short. But you still go and get the result. And that's the most important thing. I think they are improving. I really like the defence now. I think it's so much better um, with 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 buying form alongside uh, Maguire. That it looks much more solid. Still far, you know, searching. I think for the perfect combo, aren't they in midfield and attack? But you know, they're, they're in the mix, as, as Jeremy rightly says, and I think that's all that they wanted. But uh, you know, long term, I still think we need to be convinced about Solskjaer, and that might seem incredibly harsh and. And, and I guess the fact is that basically former teammates, you know, I think in the past have given him that easy ride. Maybe they were masters. Maybe they were geniuses and saw this all coming. But I severely doubt it. It's, it's, it's an unprecedented season that no one can predict. And I don't think anyone predicted, say, you know, a month into the season with United in the bottom half of the table really struggling for form. that all of a sudden, come the turn of the year, there'd be three points clear at the top. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, John, on that. I think... You know, they, they didn't win anything last year. Um, you know, they've been knocked out of those competitions I mentioned before this season. I think there's still a lot to prove. One thing I would say that I do think Solskjaer has got right is his handling of Paul Pogba. Hmm. I think he was very calm when people were, were basically losing the rag about what Mino Raiola was saying. You know, there was pundits left, right and centre saying, right, he should boot him out of the club now or right, he shouldn't deal with Raiola again. And we've had this before. What I think Solskjaer did was stayed calm pretty much ignored what Mino Raiola had to say. Used Pogba when he felt he needed to use Pogba. He didn't indulge him. He didn't start him all the time. He brought him in now and again. You know, And I think he's handled that situation particularly well. And he's reaped the benefits of getting a performance like he got out of him at Burnley. I'd just like to know, guys, I mean, David, I'll start with you. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's almost becoming, you know, is he going to stay at United? Is he not? I mean, I think, do you think, Paul Pogba is a valuable player to this United side going forward long term. <clears throat> I, I wonder whether um, we'll see in this game this weekend, the really big games, whether we'll see um, <clears throat> that quality that he has or not. I, I think he is an Achilles heel for United against Burnley. I mean, he, you're right. He had a, he had a great, a good, a good game. I watched that game and, and afterwards people were raving about him and I thought, well, he played all right. Yeah. He cost like a hundred million quid, so he should play yeah. all right. But, um, I, I, th I mean, I think they've got they they have a, a fundamental problem with him because he doesn't really fit their system um, because they do get a little bit overrun uh, in the midfield against the better teams. I think you, you're right. You can bring him in 
uh, quite comfortably against some of the teams United are, are likely to dominate against. But but it, it, they're unbalanced, um, especially obviously because Fernandez is such an important player and he's kind of a, a, an attacking player, sort of front of the midfield as well. It, it leaves them, uh, to me, I don't think he he does his work tactically that that. Um, Say the likes of Mourinho wanted. I mean, obviously, you know, he he never never really trusted him. Um, I I don't think he would do the work tactically for the likes of Klopp or Guardiola either. So, um, I I I would say he's not really long term for this Manchester United side. But the fact is, where's he going to go? Who's going to pay those wages? Who's going to pay the money that United would 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 demand? And the answer is no one, no chance. So he's on big money. I can see him. I can see him actually staying there, but but not really as United progress and go forward. Not necessarily being a central part of that team. Does he start Jeremy on Sunday, Pogba? I think so. I mean, he he was good on uh, Tuesday night. He was very disciplined. I mean, that's my issue with him. He can be. He's been a hard player for Solskjaer to trust. You know, since he took over as manager, um, there have been too many ill-disciplined performances. Tuesday was different. He was good. Um, he did his job that he was told to do. Obviously, scored a great goal to win the game. So, on the back of that performance, he'll be he'll play against Liverpool, but that will be a different test altogether. So, yeah. you know, Pogba is an enigma. He remains an enigma at United and an expensive one too. So, you know, they haven't bought him, they didn't buy him to win games at Burnley, they bought him to win games at, um, yeah. at Anfield. So that's that's the that's what you want to see. That's the true test on them. Um, and, and, and that's the bottom line. I mean, I saw him, you know, have a great game, um, a decent game or scored a great goal uh, down at West Ham, you know, and, and yeah. then does a very similar goal actually, probably in its execution and technique against Burnley and and I think you guys are right you, you know what you want him to do is, is step up and take a game like that by the scruff of the neck the last time he probably did that um, was probably against City at the Etihad that time when they were 2-0 down at half time um, and he inspired that comeback uh, can, John, I, so, can I just jump in for a yes, second was it a great goal because like I, <laughs> it all, it's an absolute worldie he misses it it took a deflection and it Shindy. was he did yeah. shin it. No, there's no doubt. It wasn't a well. Yeah, do you know what, Dave? I'm in total, total agreement with you there. Because I just, I, 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 you know, I watched that game. I was, you know, raving about it. And then I woke up and looked on social media the next day. And it's like the next morning, I'm thinking, you know, really? Right, right. Fabulous, oh. really? But listen, it was a priceless goal. Yes. It was, it was a crucial, absolute match-winning, huge goal, huge moment in the season. And listen, I'll be the first to admit that I'm an absolute sucker uh, for a mercurial midfielder. And basically, Paul Pogba is the absolute prime example, isn't he, of that? I did, I love Paul Pogba. I love him for his extravagance. I love him for the way, the, the, the way that he looks on the pitch. And by that, I mean the way he strides across midfield when he's, when he's in full flow, in possession of the ball, the way that he can dominate games. And you'll notice that everything I say there starts with, you know, can dominate games because that's what we expect, isn't it? Yeah. And then basically, but I do think it was really interesting because, you know, given some of the pundits a bit of a kick already about sort of the kind of, you know, pins on Solskjaer and stuff. But Gary Neville, I think, said something, you know, very interesting in sort of kind of New Year's predictions. He predicted that, that Pogba would be the player of the second half of the season because the influence that he would have on, 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 United and indeed the season. And and I just think there might just be something in that. You know, we need him to step up. You need him to finally show. And if he does it in six months and leads United to success, you know, yeah. by which I mean the title or a trophy, then in one, you know, half of a season, then he has justified that price tag, which I have to say up until now, we are just still left wondering about this great enigma in English football, aren't we? That, yeah. that you know is, it was a driving force for France in the well, world. Now, we're still, a player. We're still talking about him being a misfit, and he's he's been at United. He's in his fifth year at United. Yeah. <laughs> he joined him in 2016, so he's been there half a decade, yeah. and we still don't know if he's the player we think he is. 
which tells you everything, doesn't it? Find it. Just quickly, I'm interested in that goal, just going back to that goal, saying it's not a great goal. Okay, it takes a deflection. Okay, you might not hit as cleanly. But in terms of technique, I was actually walking past the TV and I saw it, and in real time I thought, that's a, that's a cracker, that is. I mean, it, it did remind me of that one at West Ham he scored when Fernandez played the ball across and he volleyed it in, which was a bit cleaner. And I thought, that's a great goal. And then only, obviously, when you slow it down, you realise he might not have caught as flush as you, you, you thought, and it's got a deflection to go in. But it's, can it still not be a great goal? For example, Wayne Rooney's overhead kick in the Manchester derby. A great did goal it? or not? Did he hit <laughs> or did he not? But was Brilliant. it still great Brilliant. technique? No, well, he, he, he was. He wasn't quite amazing technique, but the technique to execute it was, technique was, was good. Yeah, but I, I just felt <laughs> yes, I, I agree with you. But he, he had ultimately ruined his shin that. But the, the audacity and bravery to, to, to even try that is amazing. His What's technique wasn't that good though, was it? Because he actually mishit it, and the yeah. and the keeper would have would have basically knelt down and picked it up had <laughs> not it taken a deflection and it gone through his legs. That, so it was reasonable technique, but he didn't actually execute it as he wanted to do. So, yes. but, but but very quickly, we could do this normally at the end. But uh, the, the the most overrated goal anyone's ever seen, the most overrated goal in football history. I'll start you off with David Beckham against Greece. Oh, really? Oh, the goal, mate. Keeper could have caught that one handed. I'm going David Beckham against Greece over eight. I mean, you could maybe say, I don't know. Has anyone got a goal? They think, you know what? Oh, I tell you, I love him. Right. To be fair, I the reason why it's a great goal, Beckham, is just probably because of the circumstances. What I mean is in terms of, you know, a worldie. Go on. Go on, John. Please, please, yeah, I, please, don't, please don't get me wrong on this because I think he's having the season of his life. But Son, again, was it against Burnley? Oh, yes. Did someone make a tackle? Mate, that won the Puskas Trophy. The I best know. Any, ch- any chance, lads? Putting a tackle. Song you know, goal, it's just unbelievable. unbelievable. That goal you the Beckham scored at Old Trafford, that's the only game I've ever been at in my me, in me working life where I've seen journalists jumping up and down yeah. applauding. Huh? Oh, because he got on a trip to a World Cup, obviously, not because he's great the goal. Exactly. If we're going to go the most overrated goals, I'd go Maradona's against England. The, oh, the tackling in, oh, no, in that no. game was absolutely a exactly. It was like he was going around concrete statues. Yeah. Yeah. Around the cones. What, what are you calling Terry Fennick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Butcher. They were, and, and, and Peter Reed jogging alongside him. He was, yeah. he was trying to give him a drink or something. It was absolutely right. terrible defending. And then and it's like the all-time greatest goal. <laughs> The goal of the century, the goal of 2020, Rooney's overhead, spectacular. Right, we, we, we've dismissed them all. Great. I'll tell you what, we know who has scored a lot of fantastic goals, absolutely fantastic goals, is Mohamed Salah, you know, and, and scored them by the bucket load. At the moment, though, Dave, Liverpool are just, OK, it's only a three-game sample, but I think, what is it, they've only scored once in the last three games, haven't won any of those three games. Where does the problem lie? Is there, is there any sign? Listen, we had these little stories a few weeks back about, you know, Salah not ruling out a move, you know, etc. We see them come up, you know, periodically. Is is there an issue there amongst the front three? Is there an issue with Mohamed Salah? Um, well, it's really interesting you ask that. First of all, you're right, one goal. But do you know what? Three games against, against well, two of very you know, really struggling clubs and poor clubs towards the bottom of the table. Southampton, decent side, but but let you play. In those three games, Liverpool have had seven shots shots on target. I mean, in three games. That's that's the champions who blew everyone away, who who created more chances last season than 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 just about any club in Europe. So it's it's a significant problem. And I'll say, first of all, the first part of your question, what is the problem? Well, I actually had a really long uh, chat with Klopp, who was really honest last week in, 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 in his press conference. Um, and uh, he, he answered about the centre-halves. And he basically said, look, yes, of course we want a centre-half. We're desperate for one. Of course we'd love to buy one in January. But he basically admitted, first of all, the money isn't there. Liverpool don't have the money in this current climate to buy the standard of centre-half that they require. 
And he didn't complain about that. He didn't kick up a fuss. He basically said he understands, he accepts it. And he also said, what happens if I bought a centre-half anyway? And then he gets injured after two or three games, which you look at his signings in the summer, uh, Simitas, Thiago, um, and Jota, and they've all been injured. So, you know, there's no guarantees there. But what he also said, and which I, I found interesting, and I feel it's exactly the same, he said that in trying to cover for the for the loss of Gomez and Van Dijk, Liverpool have had so many different centre-half pairings. I think they're into double figures with the different centre-half pairings they've had this season. And and um, they, are, they are taking players from other areas. They're trying to cover. And he said, it's really affecting our setup. And he said, the, the, the people on Match of the Day, the, the critics on Sky, the, 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 the pundits, no one ever gives Liverpool any leeway because of the problems they have with the with the centre halves, and and okay, that's Liverpool's fault for going in the season with only three senior centre halves. But the reality is, and Klopp gave detailed technical, tactical analysis of this, and basically said we're losing the the midfield, uh, the the the. the the, the protection we have in the midfield and therefore we're having to change the setup and we're constantly having to change to a different style of playing and that is affecting the momentum going forward and also they've lost Van Dyke and Gomez to a slightly lesser extent their their ability and Van Dyke's very underrated at this his his incredible ability to to sort of bypass that midfield area get Liverpool on the counter find Salah find Mane Find Firmino, Firmino coming deeper with his with his, an remarkably accurate long distance passing. So Liverpool are missing all of this, and basically they're playing a very different game. Firmino has been a massive loss in midfield. Jordan Henderson played in defence against Southampton, and losing him from the midfield is also a big loss. And and I think that that is the fundamental problem. And very quickly, and I'm sure the guys will answer this question more fully, but with Salah, I personally don't think there's very much in, in him. I, I, I think that he did feel undoubtedly slightly overlooked um, when when uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold was made captain when he played in that game. I don't think he understood quite how important it is at Liverpool for a local boy to be given the captaincy. Curtis Jones did it in 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 the the, the cup game against Shrewsbury, I think it was um, uh, uh, last season, and and it is massive on Mersey on, on Anfield for a local boy to be given the captaincy. Salah didn't appreciate that. I think that interview where he sort of didn't rule out moves to Spain was more because his contract. He's twenty nine, and mm. his contract talks are about to come up. And they obviously want to press for a big money long-term contract. And Liverpool, when you look at it, they're very reluctant to hand out, as we've seen with Wijnaldum, big contracts to players who are going to be soon entering their 30s. They want to do it shorter term. They don't want to be loaded uh, as they have been in the past, with, uh, as in fact the owners had when they first arrived and then they were burnt by it and really vowed never to do it again. They don't want players in their 30s on massive contracts. Like uh, Pepe Reina is a good example um, when they first arrived. And so they're trying to avoid that. But Salah, obviously, his, his agent is, is doing his job, trying to put pressure on. And I think it's more related to that than, than a real chance of, of him leaving. One last thing, I'll throw this over to the other guys, though. Um, if Liverpool got a really massive offer, and I can't see it happening, but if they did, say 150, 200 million, for a 29-year-old, would they take it? It's a really good question. And I'd throw that open to the others. Yeah, I mean, John, you just pick up on that. I mean, you know, they've been the most incredible um, triumvirate up front with Firmino, Mane and Salah. Um, but I guess everything has its, you know, has its time, has its lifespan. Um, if they're not firing, then they're putting in trouble, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's a, it's a great point that Dave makes. And yeah. I do think it's a great discussion point. And... And listen, I guess the 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 art of manager ma- management and 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 the greats down the years uh, have been the ones to basically call it and do business, if you like, and make changes and move things on um, when when almost players are at their you know at their absolute peak. 
because if they're at their, their absolute peak, there's sort of kind of there's only one way to go, and 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 that's and that's downwards to a degree. I'm not saying that for a moment that kind of Salah's on that path just yet, because you, you know. But e- equally, there's sometimes. I mean, you know, Diego Jota has come in and made a world of difference earlier in the season, and so it kind of this, sometimes when it looks as if they're absolutely irreplaceable. Well, it's not always the case, is it? I mean, you know, Mane's been, um, uh, uh, you know, amazing. Um, you know, Salah has just been so phenomenal. But then Salah, you do look at certain games, you think, oh, he's too greedy, he's too selfish. But that's the player he is, isn't it? You, and you can't take away from that. But then if you did take it, you know, if you put in another, you know, I, I get sick and tired of people deriding Firmino and saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, they, they basically you could replace Firmino with Harry Kane or something like that. Well, no, you couldn't. Because they're, they're a trio, they're a dynamic. You know, they're basically, uh, like for like, are they better players? Well, I'd make a strong case for Harry Kane, but actually in that trio, I'm sorry, but it, there's a reason why the three spin off each other and it's because that dynamic. And you have to make sure that whoever you you, you know you are ready to bring in and replace, then they are ready to take up the, uh, up the mantle. And to me at the moment, it looks as if, you know, Salah is still in that place of being irreplaceable. But... I think if you get that incredible offer, particularly in these difficult times, I think it would make Liverpool think. It has to, you know, if they feel that they could evolve and push on. And I think that, you know, I think what Klopp has done in his time at the football club has just been able to kind of, you know, move them on time after time. It's like the conundrum with Wijnaldum. You know, Wijnaldum's a case in point, isn't it? I mean, Wijnaldum, at times, I think he just looks absolutely fabulous and how they're going to, you know, kind of cope if he moves on. Well, they're kind of making moves in that direction with the sign of Thiago, aren't they, really? Slightly different way. Different players, of course, but they'll go in a different way. And, you know, I just think Liverpool will evolve. They always do. Jeremy, just just we'll come back to get our um, predictions for Sunday's score um, in a short while. But I do just want to... Dave alluded to it earlier on. You know, we, we shouldn't be thinking that Liverpool Man U is some sort of, you know, January title decided. It's clearly not. So I'm just looking here. I've just decided, now I'm not encouraging anyone to bet, but I'm just looking here at the odds. And who are odds on favourites to win the Premier League title? Man City. Man City, once again, odds on favourites. Is that fair enough? We've got Man City odds on favourites, then Liverpool, then United. So what I want to do now is just have a look at the, the other contenders. It's clearly not a two-horse race. Manchester City, once again, Odds on favourites. They only scored one last night, but it's another win. They get there bizarrely. You know, it's a, it's an about turn from their usual seasons. They're not they're struggling to score, but they they are they are they are not conceding at all. Bear in mind they've conceded thirteen goals in their games, and bear in mind five of them were in that you know rather freakish game um, against Leicester City at the Etihad. So are they? Should they be odds on? Are they are they the favourites to win a title, Jeremy? I think so. Look, they've got yeah. pre- they've got previous. They've been. You know, aside from Liverpool running away with it last season, City have been, you know, the team the team of the last four or five years. So they know what's required. Um, they, I think, the fourteen unbeaten now in all competitions. I think they've won the last seven, so they've hit the straps over the uh, of the last month or so, and they've done it all without Aguero as well. I mean, that's that's a sign of the future, I suppose, under Guardiola, because I think this will be Aguero's last season at City. He's been injured. He's got COVID at the minute. So um, you know they have they have they're not relying on him as they have been in previous seasons. Um, obviously, we'll take some replacing when when it, when that moment comes. But they're getting goals from Foden. Um, De Bruyne's always got goals in him. Sterling, Jesus. So they have they don't they don't need Aguero in the team, which sounds a bizarre thing to say. But you know, yeah. when he, look, he's he, when he comes back, who knows if he comes back. Um, in good shape, that's a huge bonus as well in going into the final few months of the season because um, he guarantees you goals. So um, the, the big difference has been is, is Guardiola's finally sorted out his defence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Diaz has settled in. He's, he, he looks like he's been there three years. He, he's only been there less than six months. So, you know, he's been a major, major uh, boost for them how quickly he's settled and how good he is. And Stones is obviously back to good form again. You know, he's getting the best out of Stones. His head looks right again. So, you know, they, they are really, really hard to beat. And mm. if, if, if if City can keep clean sheets, then other teams have got a problem yeah. because they're yeah. to score goals. So. 
I mean, I think that's a great point, you know, about the defence. Um, if you think of, you know, what, I mean, we, we spoke there about Firmino, Mane and um, Salah, but also equally you could argue that, that sort of Liverpool's recent success has been built on, on a pretty steady back five. You know, Alisson, Goal, Alexander Arnold, Robertson, Van Dijk and, well, whoever, a, a, a another, but, but, um, but pretty settled. Now, I, I mean, I noticed, I, mean, I would never have thought that Guardiola would, would play a consistent Back five, you know, which now seems to be Edison, Cancelo, Diaz, Stones, and and Zinchenko. Now, and I guess part of that's been forced on him by injury and illness, but that does have the look, Dave, doesn't it? The City now have the look of solidity. They look as though they're celebrating clean sheets. You, you know, it would have been an anathema to, to Guardiola in the past. You know, he would have packed his side with ten midfielders if he could in an ideal world. But they look fairly solid now. One player you saw obviously on Merseyside, John Stones. He looks like he's he's back to his very best. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I would I, I personally think City will run away yeah. with the title oh, really? here, unless Liverpool sign a centre half. I, I mm. genuinely think that, I, and and also it has to be a obviously a top class centre half who is good enough to slot in straight away. And and really, you know, by delaying, I think it's cost Liverpool. I honestly think City are, are you know overwhelming favourites uh, for for the very reasons that. Jeremy just detailed. Uh, it's interesting, you know, because Guardiola's first season, um, he, he he struggled. That, that defensively, they were poor. Kept getting they they created loads of chances, scored goals, but kept getting caught out at the back. So what did he do? He actually went out and he signed about five defenders, all yeah. from 40, 50 million fullbacks, centre halves. Um, and actually, he struggled to find centre halves, and he kept signing centre halves. Mm. Um, so. I think last season he realised again the, the defensive problems uh, without Laporte, who uh, was injured for a lot of it, caught up with him again. So I think they did go out and, and they found Diaz, who's been really important. But it's really interesting that Laporte isn't 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 actually yeah. playing. Um, Feel sorry for him, don't you? Really? And and I mean, is that is that just luck? As he as he uh, or you know because it looked to me like Stones was going out. There was talk mm. about him. Possibly coming back to Everton, there was the, the, so you know he's, he possibly has stumbled on that. Yes, I'm not entirely. I don't like to say great managers stumble on things because they do tend to plan, but I think he has stumbled on that and it's worked perfectly. Yeah. Um, they're they're, they're going to score goals. The other thing I'd say as well, by the way, is that Guardiola he does. You know, we know his methods, we know his his history. He plans things, and I think. At the start of the season, they they they, they came back late. They played in the summer longer than everyone else, and I think he 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 planned a slowish start, and then to gather momentum and use his methods hitting the ground around this time, and that's exactly what we've seen. Is it twelve games now unbeaten? Yeah. And and and, and I, think, spinners or something. I think they will look fitter and stronger than any of the other teams because of the way that Guardiola prepares and, and the way that he's planned this season. And I also think they will probably not suffer as many injuries as most teams as well in the second half of the season because of that, because of that planning and the preparation that he does. So it's yeah. ominous. And Liverpool, for me, they've got to sign a centre-half if they want to challenge for that title this season. John, um, we're talking now almost as though it's a three-horse race. You were at Spurs last night. Mm. Spurs on my odds here are, well, 25 to 1. I mean, what is it, Tottenham? I mean, you know, is it just a three-horse race? Secondly, you know, there's not many points separating the top six, so surely that brings Spurs, Leicester, Southampton, even Chelsea into the equation, does it? And thirdly, John, just on Spurs now to start with, you know, what is it about trying to defend one-goal leads against the likes mm. of Fulham? Does he deserve the criticism he's getting this morning, Jose? I, I actually thought that that last night was was a little bit different. Listen, I do think you know I was also at the Wolves Spurs game, mm. so basically what, the, Tottenham should have won that game, and they end up drawing. They ended up being pegged back by a late equaliser later than it was last night, and that was a classic case in point. They basically sat back, tried to defend the lead rather than kind of you know actually go and attack, which is you know, dare I say it, the Spurs way. They do like to, to play with flair and win with style, you know, and that, that's the that's the DNA of the club. But I actually felt a bit last night was that Spurs didn't play that well, I have to be honest, but I thought Fulham were great. 
Yeah, Fulham were clearly fired up by, you know, the pre-match aggro, the pre-match row, and Scott Parker instilled that into his players. He brought in a siege mentality. You know, I mean, you know, they defended brilliantly. Tossing Adebayo, I think, is great. You know, really good defender. Um, You know, improving all the time. You know, Loftus-Cheek had a good game. You know, Cavalero looks dangerous up front. When Lookman came on, you know, he pinned them back and he obviously provided a super cross for the goal. I mean, it's, you know, Fulham, I think, to to be too critical of, of, of Mourinho last night, I think is, is you know, misreading the signs that basically Fulham were very good and they really deserved that point. I gave Fulham no hope of survival at the start of the season. And now I think they're in back in with a fighting chance. I still think they're, you know, they're probably odds against, you know, staying up. But basically... I, I think they've given themselves a chance. But I think with Spurs, I remember going to Anfield before Christmas thinking Spurs were in this title race. And oh. basically that would be a huge game. I just think in the in the you know weeks since, they've shown themselves to be just short. They've yeah. come up just short. And I think that's slightly defensively. They've got options in midfield. They've got brilliant attack. Um, but it's, you know, I think it's, they haven't quite got the structure oh. just yet, even though they've done some good business. But I personally think you know, like Dave, I think it's going to be a three-horse oh. race. And I think the others are, are, are you know, are scrapping yeah. it out for top four place. I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think we disagree with that, will we, Jeremy? And and now you mentioned there about Fulham and about what preceded this fixture last night. I just want to say, Jeremy, that, that, that you know, there's going to be a lot more aggro about fixture scheduling and rescheduling of games. I mean, my point of view is that, you know, it's so, it's so to use that word, unprecedented that, that, you know, you just have to take it on the chin of a game's rescheduled at the last minute. But what I would just like to touch on briefly, Jeremy, is, is that, and you were there, I mean, it, it was a great occasion at Marine on Sunday. I just want to touch on the FA Cup last weekend. I think a lot of us thought that there would be chaos, that there'd be fixtures called off left, right and centre. It would then impact on subsequent fixtures. I think, you know, we've got the rearranged game to um, Southampton, Shrewsbury, isn't it? But apart from that... I think the FA Cup third round went really well. And I, I think if, if one thing that we'll learn from it going forward is that the days of replays in any round are probably gone. I don't know what you think of that, Jerry. I totally agree. Look, yeah. the, the replays, we, we're playing. We've known this for years, but players play too much football, don't they? Yeah. And then one of the things COVID has made us sit up and take notice of is that it's now showing what... They they just get flogged to death, footballers, don't they? From twelve months a year, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, look, it was a great weekend. I I did a column on it last week, fearing that uh, you yes. know various circumstances it would be not a washout, but it would be badly damaged. And it's an iconic, obviously uh, iconic weekend in the footballing calendar. How, um, how could you doubt the magic of the FA Cup? Do you like how, the FA Cup? How, fool, how foolish you now look with that column. I'm well, going to rag that out and, and basically <laughs> post it to you so you can eat it with your humble pie. So just don't get big-headed just because you were at the story of the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that I want to mention that, really. But, uh, anyway. but no, it was a fantastic weekend. We saw some great upsets. It's what it's all about. And then the other bonus is that this, the FA Cup will provide um, a bit of a, a bit of help with the fixture scheduling because I think there's a story in the papers this morning that Villa's game with Newcastle is going to be rearranged for the fourth round weekend. So obviously both available to play that weekend. So I think you know, I think that's happened now while we've been yeah. on air. Yeah, so it's, it's uh it's helping ease the congestion, but look, it, we are where we are. We need to finish the season. Obviously, I think that was Mourinho's point when he when he was having a row with Parker over. I did feel really sorry for Fulham actually. I just don't think that's that's fair. But there's not there's a lot of things that aren't fair at the minute for, for all sorts of reasons. So I think you've just got to suck it up and get on with it, and just realise that it's very different at the minute, and there's no sort of precedent for this. So you just got to you just got to get yeah. on with it, try and get the season finished. Yeah, it, it was it was funny. I was at Chorley and then Marine. Um, I turned up at Chorley on the Saturday, parked my car virtually outside the stadium, and, and there was literally not a soul around. I mean, not a soul around. Yeah, I've gone to the stadium. There's a few people there, so getting the, the stadium ready, and it was great. And then myself, if I one of the first persons, first people I bumped into was Jeremy outside Marine, um, Rossett Park or the Marine Travel Arena, whatever it's called now. And I got outside. It was like Wembley Way on a, 
on, on the May, you know, with, with no COVID. It was, it was, the streets were lined with punters uh, welcoming the coaches and whatever. And it did make some headlines, uh, Dave. It, it, it made some headlines in terms of where's the social distancing, you know. And the police were fairly relaxed about um, the streets being lined with people. Um, but it did bring in, again, the ongoing discussion of the sort of... Um, of football in COVID times, and then the minutiae of the social distancing, etc. Now, that was amongst fans. What's come out this week, which seems to be gathering momentum, is this idea that footballers are ignoring protocols and are, heaven forbid, celebrating goals with a with a hug, with a pat on the head, with a handshake, you know, when really they should just be bumping elbows and sort of saying, well done from two metres apart. Where do you stand on this? It seems to be, you know, and, I, and my point of view is, you know, I mean, the odd politician won't miss the opportunity to start being pompous about football. Nigel Huddleston yesterday, oh, they must and, and, and you know, force these protocols strictly. Um, me, I think it's over the top. Where, where do you stand on it? It's clearly going to be a debate over the next couple of days as to, you know, should footballers continue to do that and should they be told listen guys don't hug after you score the goal listen let's put it this way Dave if, if United or Liverpool score a last minute winner on, on Sunday um, I think it'd be more than elbows bumped I, 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 don't, I, I don't even understand the debate if I'm being honest because I mean for, for a start they're in a bubble they train together but they, they, they you know they travel together the, 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 the whole point of the protocol is to allow them to actually have close proximity to their teammates and actually close proximity to to opposition players as well. So, you know, if a if a let's just say let's take Mohamed Salah on Sunday, Harry Maguire is going to be all over him. He's going to be putting his sweaty arms across him. He's going to be putting his face next to him. He's going to be right in his face as he should be as a defender. And, and are you telling me that, that that is less danger of transmitting than if, if a player jumps on another player's back and they, they, they punch the air together? It, 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 it's just a nonsense. And, you know, in part, the government, let's face it, they, they've had an absolute shit show and, and they are desperately looking around for any, any scapegoats, any excuses to deflect from the... The disaster that they're presiding over, you know, you know we're like with with COVID, we're, we're approaching, I think, well over seventy five thousand excess deaths. So, so they are responsible for that extreme number, and they are to be blaming footballers for celebrating when you are responsible for that. That is obscene. So let let's get that into context. I just wanted to go back to the Marine thing as well, because yes. it's kind of like a local club for me. Mm. Um, you say it was like Wembley Way. It wasn't. And actually, I, 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 and there was a massive like response and people criticising them and all that. And again, in Liverpool, we were in tier two. And everywhere else was in tier three or tier four. And right up until New Year's Eve morning, you could still go out in Liverpool to get a meal. To, you could have a drink with your meal. All the shops were open. And guess what? Every, Manchester was in tier four. The whole of the north of England was in tier four. So the whole of the north of England came to <laughs> Liverpool. And the shopping centres were packed. Yeah. And the restaurants were all booked up. And again... You know, government are responsible for that. And get and look now in Liverpool, the rates have gone through the roof, surprisingly enough, yeah. after allowing the whole of the north of England to travel to Merseyside. Yeah. So, you know, a few people standing next to each other in the open air, in uh, outside a shop in Marine, it's yeah. not quite the same as the government yeah. having such a disjointed policy where they let hundreds of thousands of people travel to do their Christmas shopping than go out in restaurants and bars <laughs> yeah. in Liverpool. So, you know, yeah. let's get it all into context. 
Welcome to Politics Live on yesterday. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, listen. podcast. What I would say, what I would say, Dave, is, 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 is I don't think it was just the north of England who came to Liverpool. I mean, I was hearing the stories about people coming from London up there, no, a pint and a pint to eat in in Liverpool from Wales. Yeah. People were coming. Oh, what a great day out! We can travel yeah. to Liverpool, do our Christmas shopping because all the shops are open, and then yeah. we and have a meal and actually get a drink in a bar and a restaurant, yeah. you know, because you just had to... I mean, they, they were serving two-pound chicken and chips. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Jeremy, John... Sorry, sorry, is, can I get anyone um, of the four, either of you two, think there is a, a debate to be had or there is a point to be made that maybe footballers... Because actually, from the start, the protocols were there about celebrating goals. If you remember the very first game... Back, it was a was it a Borussia Dortmund game, the one back in the Bundesliga when and they scored. I don't know. It was I mean, I, I, it was I'm really it was it was Harland. So and there was that awkward away. time when how do we celebrate this goal? Yeah, Harland wheels away to the corner and kind of does yeah. a little dance and a, and a jig and frankly sort of almost points at his teammates, almost sort of not to sort of say join in but stay away. Yeah. And I, I have to say, it was one of the most Germanic things I've ever seen. I realised he's not. Oh, I realised he's not. I can say, I can say that because I've got German roots. So, um, but basically, <laughs> it's, uh, as my colleagues always never fail to remind me. But no, I, listen, you know, I, I, and then quickly we got back into the, into the swing of things, basically in the Bundesliga, yeah. and equally, I think with with the with the Premier League, um, I actually think that basically. You know, football came back and it felt a bit sort of sanitised at first. It wasn't quite the normal game that we expected. The standard wasn't there. And 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 equally, sort of kind of goal celebrations weren't quite as extravagant as we're used to and, we, and we're getting back into now. But I just think that I totally agree with Dave in that basically, once you cross the white line, you know, you, 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 you're a defender making the tackle on the striker. You're a defender sort of grappling with the, with the player. If you're a captain who's been called in by the referee before the game to, to, to basically be warned, don't, don't celebrate goals. You score the late winner. You're not going to celebrate. You lose it in that moment. The one thing I think is it, I don't like, and I'm sure that, well, I know the Premier League don't like it, is those, is those pre-planned goal celebrations. Where basically you do the little, you know, extravagant dance, or you do the, the you know, the kind of pre-practiced handshake, you know, let, don't don't rub salt in the wounds. Basically, I think it, it is the message there. But I do think that it, I don't think as Roy Hodgson, you know, was talking about yesterday on 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 his Zoom yesterday before um, tonight's game, he was making the point. Look, you know, don't want to make football a special case, but those players have been tested three times, and three yeah. times they've come back negative. And so basically they're within that bubble. It's not going to make the difference. But football doesn't want to be um, a special case. Clearly, I think what is it, uh, you know, getting to the government and indeed football there, you know, therefore by extension, is that basically it's the message that it sends. And so you're not going to get COVID, you know, fr from goal celebration any more than you will from grappling at a corner. But if you're telling the public that, that basically you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot sort of kind of do this in a supermarket. I think you at least have to be seen to be sending the right message. And I just don't, you know, I, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying for a moment that if you score a last-minute goal, dramatic winner, it's the, the spontaneity that we love about the celebration, that we love about football, and you're never going to stop that. It would be naive to think that you will, but I Kane, just think you probably have to put that message out there. Kane, Kane didn't hug or kiss anyone, though, did he? Last no, night? Subdued. Yeah, he was subdued, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. I think they were just fist pumping, weren't they? So Yeah, and I think he was quite pointed, Jeremy, wasn't he? And he seemed to be actually saying to the players who approached him, you know, not so much stay away, but, you know, sort of keep your distance. Um, I mean, Jeremy, it, it's not going to be surely... I mean, I assume that, that the players will be reminded um, of this. Um I'm not sure it was a good idea in the first place to say that you can't do this and you can't do that, but they, they've done it. And I think that's where John's coming from, is that, is that once they've been told that, there's this idea, which I think is completely wrong, that actually what drives people who object to this is this idea that footballers aren't abiding by the rules. Now, there's a difference between doing it off the pitch. So those those Spurs and Vanzini who, who, who posted that picture on Christmas Day, of course, there's no excuse for them. There's no excuse for those who are breaking 
the rules away from the field of play. But I think the rules are wrong on the field of play and they should be allowed. But Jeremy, I don't think, there's no suggestion, is there? I don't think, I mean, reading, you know, beyond the headlines, it is the suggestion that if they, if they don't clean up their act, i.e. if they don't celebrate their social distance, then the plug could be pulled. I mean, surely that would be slightly bizarre, wouldn't it? No, that, that that's not the issue. Yeah. I mean, I spoke to him at the Premier League at the start of the week and he actually said to me, if players that players know that, what the rules and protocols are and if they continue to break them, they will be punished in terms of fines or even suspensions. And I was writing the story, just shaking my head, thinking I can't believe players are now being warned that they could be suspended or, or fined for hugging yeah. a teammate who scored a goal. It's just farcical. Mm. But it's just part of the game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the issue is, obviously, the players we all know who they are, who are flaunting the rules at home, away from, you know, when they're not in their bubbles uh, at, at work, i.e. at training. That's the problem that, that the government have. Um, and, you know, we are now heading down a road where football will be held up as an example of um, what not to do. Um, you'd think the government actually would... Um, Realise that that's probably not the brightest thing to do because um, they got their backside kicked by the footballers in the summer with um, the wages and everything. So, um, you know, bring it on, I, I would say. But, uh, yeah, look, it's... I think the Premier League, John will probably expand on this, but the Premier League are desperate not to stop the season and don't have any plans to review that. Um, but they are getting pressure from the government to, to, to make sure players fall in line. Yeah, yeah I agree I, with that. I think, I, I, and I also agree that basically it, it, it's, you know, it's not about the gold celebrations for me. It's the COVID idiots. It's the COVID idiots that are really doing even my head in, and I'm I'm the biggest football fan going, because I tell you why. It's 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 the, you know, it, it, we're all observing and we're all so careful. I know I am, and it's it, it you know it's it's not. It's not right that basic people, you know, then basically can, can flout it if we can't see people. And, and I, I'm sorry, I don't agree at all with what Guardiola said, or indeed Moyes, that basically footballers shouldn't be a, a special case. No, they're, actually, they're probably right. They shouldn't be a special case, but they should be like everyone else yeah. and basically observing that. And they should get pelters like everyone else when they don't observe it. But finding them. Finding them, what, what's, what's the point now? What's the point of finding a player for breaking a COVID rule? What's that yeah, no, I, no, I agree. I, I think, think the pub, I think the public shaming is 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 far more severe. What what, what Eze did, and it was good to see the kind of the FA jump on that. I think mm. and basically saying, look, we're going to have a look, and then Palace, you know, are going to find him. You know, Hodgson says that's more appropriate than dropping. Well, I don't know. That was the one thing that I kind of didn't necessarily agree with. But you know, if we're all we're all in this stuck in this crazy world where people, you know, desperate for a vaccine, you know, we've got kids who are kind of losing a year at school, basically, and shambolic lessons at home. And, you know, no fault of the teachers who, you know, I have to say are doing an amazing job in among, amongst the circumstances. But if we're all having to live like that, why, oh, why do footballers, and, and, and I stress the, the minority, think that they're so arrogant and so badly behaved that they can get away with doing you know, group gatherings at Christmas and, and, and doing stupid things. It's just not acceptable at all. That's the point, and that, not goal celebrations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I guess on the finding point, is is, the, is it they may be held to greater accounts than you make down the road who breaks the rules, and we all know people who broke the rules, and we possibly broke them ourselves. So, but the fact of the matter is, is that you can't, they can be held to greater account, but they can't be punished differently. If you break the rules, you're fined, you know, just the same way that they should be fined actually stopping them from doing a job. It's not what would happen to me or you or your mate down the street. So I don't think they should be stopped from playing. That's just a personal point of view. Listen, I just want to... Sky Sky did with Kay Burley and Beth Rigby. Sorry? Sky did with Kay Burley and Beth Rigby. Yes, they did. But but, but maybe that's because their their job day in, day out was to hold people to account for not abiding by the rules. It's a different story then, isn't it? I mean, 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 footballers aren't going, footballers aren't preaching around saying you must do this, you must do that. I guess if you're holding someone to account hour by hour for not abiding by the rules, then if you're shown not to do it yourself, it puts you in an invidious situation, I guess. I mean, anyway, but listen, quickly, I know where there's going to be no hugging and kissing, as usual, 
It's up at St. James Park at Newcastle. You won't find much of it there. And once again, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but Steve Bruce again coming under, under well, just familiar, familiar pressure. Um, not a great performance at Bramall Lane. Um, and it just seems, guys, that, you know, it's week in, week out. It just seems we're sort of, there's an inertia there. He does, Dave, I, just, I don't know how you, you look at it. I mean, how long does he put up with this for, Bruce? I mean, because I, I guess he's not getting sacked, is he? Well, it's a, I mean, that's a good question. Mm. I, I, I know Steve Bruce uh, quite mm. well down the years. And, and um, I, the answer is he'll put up with it uh, 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 as, as long as it takes because he's not, he's, there's no way he's going to, he's going to uh, quit there. He's going to walk out just because he's getting criticism. He, he, that's just not part of his personality. He's a much tougher guy, Bruce, than, than perhaps the Newcastle fans realize. And um, it, it, I actually think, I mean, I think he's, I, I think it's perception. I, th- I think that obviously the results have, have gone, but they've, the start of this season, last season, they actually performed pretty well got some decent results, played uh, some decent football um, and actually performed slightly better than Benitez did the, the, before Bruce took over. So, But he was always up against it because Benitez basically did what he often does, which is get the fans on his side against mm-hmm. the owner. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, there's a great case to be made for that because the owner there... The, you know, the, the, I, I understand exactly why the fans are, are so much against him. But you know, you, you compare Bruce's overall record to that of Benitez, and they're they're pretty much pretty similar. Um, and you could argue that he's had less support in the in, possibly in the transfer market. Mm. But the point being that Bruce is a actually for me, he's an underrated manager. He's a decent manager. He's done decent jobs in most of the places he's been. Sometimes played some some very attractive football. Um, he, 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 I don't know anybody is going to do such a great job there at Newcastle. I think that's the problem. And and okay, uh, uh, an example close to home at Everton, they they got Carlo Ancelotti as manager, and the fact is he's a top manager and he's performing like a top manager by putting Everton in the position that they're in. It's remarkable what he's achieved this season at Everton. Absolutely remarkable, especially given the squad he's got and the injuries to so many key players he's had. And yet somehow, he didn't even have a striker the other night and they somehow managed to get a very important, brilliant victory at Wolves, which is a tough place Mm. to go. If he were manager at Newcastle, then yeah, I think they'd be doing better than Steve Bruce. But he's not going to be manager of Newcastle. Nobody's going to go there. Nobody's yeah. going to go there. So, yeah. we're going to get, and that's a fundamental problem. If you, if you transported yeah. Carlo Ancelotti to, to St James's Park and gave him that squad to, to play with, do you think do you think he'd do any better than Bruce? It's yeah, not, the, the problem with Bruce, the problem is players aren't good enough. The owner is terrible. It'd be very very pragmatic football. He'd have to play to do yeah. better, and he would do it because that's what he does. He's done that at Everton at times. Everton they've basically played four centre halves at the back. And so it's not the most exciting football at the time, at times, but Ancelotti has shown that he can get results. So, yeah, I think they do better. I don't think they'd be up where Everton are. I think they'd just be doing slightly better. The issue is with Newcastle that Mike Ashley clearly just wants to survive in the Premier League, doesn't he? He doesn't want to thrive in the Premier League. He just wants to exist. So whoever manages that club will be given a, a budget that's nowhere near big enough to make a playing yeah. squad capable of winning something. So that's the issue. They're just trundling along, staying in the Premier League, getting the TV money, and Ashley's happy. And, and I just... Go on, sorry, John. Andy, I just oh, think no. the Newcastle fans just want to dare to dream. And I think that's the point. And I think the reason that... You, listen, I, in the past, I've gone, hang on a minute, you know, our, why is Bruce's football so... You know, which can be defensive and unadventurous at times. Blimey, it certainly was at, at you know at Sheffield United. I mean, you know what a blooming headline that is. That basically you, you gift wrap you know Sheffield United their first win of the season. It could only be Newcastle, couldn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know the issue. The issue there for for me is though that, that Newcastle did play well at Arsenal, 
Um, but they got overpowered in, in extra time. And then basically yeah. 120 minutes in their legs. They've got two days less recovery time than, than Arsenal. And they have to go to Sheffield United and, and lose. And I just feel there's an element of, of, you know, of bad luck there, I think, that basically and you have to take that into account. But I just think the way they're set up was negative. That, that, uh, that annoyed Newcastle fans. And I think I'll go back to the fact that basically in the past, I, I've always sort of said, well, what's the difference between Benitez's you know, poor defensive football and approach at Newcastle at times. Well, I think that the issue there is that they, you know, they felt they had a, a manager who allowed them to dream because of his credentials, but also one that, that was like them, was ready to take on Mike Ashley publicly. And that was the point. And, and I just think, you know, if you took Carlo Ancelotti to St. James's, there's no doubt in my mind that he would do better because he would be a slightly different approach, but he would do better because it, it would be a, you know, Newcastle fans would have a better perception of their manager. And that, and that, that for me, is the issue. Mm. And I just think that, you know, are they underperforming? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, to lose at Sheffield United was a blow. To lose at Brentford was a bigger blow in, in, in the Carabao Cup because that was their path. That was a path to that's kind of... That's what's done the damage, the real damage, and the Brentford yeah. defeat. That's the one, isn't it? That's the one. Yeah, if you go back to when he was appointed, the, the Newcastle fans had written him off even before he had his opening... Pre- you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so his thick skin, like Dave said earlier, he's been around the block so many times, he'll just take it on the chin and keep going. But yeah. he knows he's just going around in circles, basically. Well, and, and I think why it'll go around in circles also, what... what, what I wouldn't say in quotes helps him is that there are no fans in St. James Park and they're not going to be. So, you know, I don't think, I think people are, are, are quite within Newcastle are, are sort of relatively confident that they'll stay in, in, in the Premier League. There's no fans there to, they're not playing great football, but there's not 50,000 people there to whistle their disapproval of the football they're playing. So in other words, you just go around in circles, as you said, Jeremy, you know, and actually that'd be absolutely fine for Ashley. You know, he's not getting pelters because, there's no one in the stadium. And I just think that will, it, it will go on and on and on. And, you know, I, I just, I, I personally, you know, I, I like Steve a lot. I'm with Dave, known Steve a long time and I like him a lot, but, you know, I just don't see how, how this ends happily, to be quite frank. Steve Steve turned 60 um, in December and obviously he's still not playing, but my eye was caught this week just as a distraction by the Japanese striker, Kazuyoshi Miura for Yokohama. He's a striker and he turns 54 next month and he just signed a new playing contract. And I just think it's fantastic. I, I often think, why do we put, well, it's probably obvious reasons, actually, it's a rhetorical question. Why do we put age limits on, on outfield players? And I just wondered, which outfield players do you think might go on and on? For me, I'll start off. And I actually think that, I actually think that we'll see Lionel Messi playing on into his 40s, an outfield player. I really do. I don't see any reason. I look at him. Do you just hit a barrier where you say, okay, that's it. I'm 33, 34, it's, it's the end. I don't know. Uh, so I'm going for Messi. John, anyone? Well, I, I, the thing is with Lionel Messi is that basically Lionel Messi, if anyone tries to drop him or tell him it's to retire, he'll just throw his toys out of the pram, get the president yeah. removed yeah, yeah, yeah. and basically say, all right, I'll run the football club, I'll be manager, player manager and, you know, basically yeah, sing, sing the theme tune as well. Um, but no, no, look, I, I just basically, I, I, I love the, the ongoing, um, which hasn't been quite so ongoing in the last month or so, I noticed, but the, the ongoing story of Christian Fuchs yeah. at Leicester, who I just think is a bit of an unsung hero. He's 34 now. I think he's tried to retire twice and they've basically, you know, lured him back. And he's played quite a big role this season, you know, sort of certainly before Christmas played, you know, was quite regular in that Leicester team. Leicester continued to defy the odds. And even though I could go for more glamorous names, I thought it was just time to sort of maybe sort of highlight a bit of an unsung hero. You know, if he's tried to retire, retire twice, I think he's got a coaching yeah. score in New York, hasn't he? He's got no chance. Christian, just admit it. You're carrying on until you're yeah. 40, basically, and doing doing a sterling job as, as, as Leicester defy the odds and maybe reach the top four again this season. It's brilliant. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an obvious name, actually. It's, it's uh, James Milner. Exactly. I was just going to say, surely Milner, yeah. yeah. The guy is, I think he, you know, last season, the title winning season, he played, I think he made 38, 40 appearances, 38 appearances, I think. So he's a machine. He's a great bloke. He, he absolutely, yeah. he's still the fittest guy at the club. Everyone says that. And, and I mean, he definitely could play on for several more years. And I can imagine him playing 
for someone I know, say like Geisley when he's fifty-three, yeah. something so, like that, absolutely no problem whatsoever. And, and if you think, if you think, Dave, I mean, what was his? I mean, it, it was a record-breaking young age that he started, wasn't it? I think he was the youngest player for Leeds, was he? Sixteen yeah. and a bit, Jeremy. He played, made his debut for Leeds. He was the youngest player. I think he was the youngest player in Premier League history at the time. I mean, you're coming up to 20 years playing at that level. It's still winning stuff. You know, he obviously won the title last season, but don't alarm anyone around this group chat, but he's a teetotal. I know. (laughs) Letting that be a lesson. Oh, we all for January. I remember (laughs) you were probably, you two two were probably there, John and um, Andy. When we were in Miami that week before we went to Brazil for the World Cup, Milner did a press conference and I asked him towards the end of the press conference because he, He's out. It's quite well known that he never touches alcohol. You know, he's obviously super fit. I said, "Would you would you break that? Would you break that ban if if England went on to win the World Cup in Brazil?" And he just went, "No." It was oh, like yeah. he's quite he's quite deadpan in Milner, but yeah, um, yeah, I'll go with Dave. I think Milner would still be playing in his forties. No, I, I think you'd be right. I think you'd be right. And it's funny. I, I've said this before here that when I covered the. I think Dave, you might have been off, and I covered Liverpool, Leicester, and they won. You know, Leicester were expected to go there and do big things, and they Liverpool won three or four, was it? And Milner apparently was outstanding. I was watching the game, but didn't realise this, and I gave him a six. And and, and months on, I am still getting. I, I swear, <laughs> helters every week. You gave James Milner six. What do you know about anything? And, and you look at the game back, and you think, you know, you just missed someone, you know, because he didn't score. And and um, and then you just look and you think. But anyway, there you go. He took the corners. Oh, br- brilliant. But I mean, bear in mind, I mean, I mean, Stanley Matthews, was he 50 when he played his last game? I mean, can you imagine someone like at the top level of English football playing alpha in your 50? I think it's remarkable. Maybe he's all that. I, 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 obviously, I can't remember it wasn't around then. But yeah. no, 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 no. You say, can you imagine it? I say, no, just because your legs feel dark. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. playing, playing for the, anyway. you know, Christy, blimey. I, th- I think you're right. I think Milner will go on for um, a long time. Um, will he play? I'm just going to finish. I'm not sure whether he'll play Sunday or not. He may play a part. Um, but just finishing as we started on on Sunday's game, um, just just always a great game. You know, we could we could do another program on memories of these type of games. Um, the three three was my favourite memory um, of being at a game. The, the Rudik header. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to ask for those memories. I just want to wrap up simply by asking for a prediction. Um, I think Liverpool will bounce back, and I'm going Liverpool 2, Man United nil. Jeremy? I'm going 2-1 United. John? I was going to go 2-0 Liverpool, so I'll have to be slightly different, won't I? So I'll, I'll go Liverpool 2, Man United 1. Uh, a big leap of faith from us, Dave, for, in, in, in favour of Liverpool yourself? Well... I'm going for a draw, but I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a one-one draw. But I'm gonna say that Liverpool need to win to show they're in the title race. So if the real Liverpool turn up, the real Liverpool, then they will win. But I'm not convinced they will. So I'm going for a draw. Yeah, I, th- I think that's reflective, guys. If, if, if this one really is a tough one to call, United so good away from home, Liverpool. Well, I mean, I, I can't think of a better team at home. You know, since I've been covering football, we know their record. Guys, thanks very much. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the football this weekend, wherever we're all at. Um, and we'll catch up soon, same time next week. Thanks for watching and for listening. <laughs>